0: Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with
1: interviews hosted by Nathan Chan.
0: This is not your average entrepreneur podcast, the Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know. and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, Founder fam? Hello and welcome to the Founder podcast. My name's Nathan Chan, CEO and publisher of Founder magazine. And I'm really excited to have you here today with me to learn from an extremely successful founder. Now, this founder's name, his name is Eric Bergman, and he's the founder of a company called Great.com, and he was a former founder of a listed company called Katina Media. Now, he really goes through with me everything that he's learned on his journey to building like a company doing tens of millions in annual revenue in only like I think you know five, six years, so he, he built it up really, really fast. Um, So we go through all of that, all of his lessons, really, really interesting guy and really cool what he's trying to do with great.com. Now before I jump in, I have to let you know about this new course that we've just launched at Founder called E-Commerce Masters. Over the past few weeks, you would have heard me speaking to these incredible E-Commerce Founders really trying to find out what it takes to scale your e-commerce business. Not start it, really scale it into seven figures, multiple seven figures or eight figures plus. Now, we've got five of these instructors, incredible instructors, to teach this course on the five core drivers that you can use to grow and scale your e-commerce business. So if you have an e-commerce store... And you're already generating sales. You don't know want to. You don't want to know how to start. Um, we we already have a course for that with Greta Van Reel. We have this incredible new course. It's an early bird special. It has just launched. When we do close this off, when we re release this course after we've focused on our early bird students and our first intake, this course will probably be invite only. It won't be open, and it will probably increase by two to three x in terms of price so this is a truly early bird special if you have an e-commerce business i know a lot of you listening might go to founder.com forward slash e-commerce masters that's founder.com forward slash e-commerce masters i know you're going to get a lot out of this course and also this incredible community that we're building there all right guys that's it from me now let's jump into the show The first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job?
1: Well, I actually never had a job. Uh, I started business right after school. I had one job moving boxes once when I was 16. It's the only job I ever had. And I got that because my my brother did it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, um, always an entrepreneur uh, at, at heart from, yeah, young age.
1: Okay, so I'll tell you about uh, the biggest deal of my life, and we have been going on in our our negotiations for for a couple of days. And I thought that things were gonna it's, it was gonna happen yesterday, and he just backed out. So I had to put up a new offer, put it on the table, and after long negotiations, he he finally said said yes to my terms. And I felt the excitement coming up within me, and I pushed over the payment, and he gave me the goods, and I just looked at it, and in my hands was the first picture I've ever had of Wayne Gretzky, the world's best hockey player, and I'm eight years old, and this was the deal of my lifetime. And I'm starting here because I think that this is where my entrepreneurial journey took his first steps kind of because I really struggled to make friends when I was a kid I was a very lonely child and spent most of my childhood alone but somehow on the schoolyard the currency for friendship was hockey pictures so if I had hockey pictures I had a, a belonging in a sense so whenever I had something to trade with I was I was welcome so I spent all of my time and all of my attention very early on, or well, in my school years, um, getting hockey pictures or whatever the latest fad was. So I think that where I learned the most from school was not in the classroom, but was actually trading or buying or dealing with whatever the latest fad was. So I think that's how my entrepreneurial journey started. And I I can imagine that's how it starts for for lots of us, but we don't really realize that that's where it started.
0: Yeah, I see. So what was your first company? Was it uh, Katina Media?
1: No. So the first things that I started was right after school. So I was 19 or so. And well, I started doing lots of different things. Uh, the first real company was a small web agency where our original idea was to build websites for small customers like hairdressers printer shops shoe shops and we just failed (laughs) well we it's really shitty business idea to get small clients in and build (laughs) web properties for them because they don't have any money to pay for things so anyone who wants to do business don't aim for small clients only it's not going to work so that was our first business and it did not go well
0: (laughs) i see so what what happened next
1: well, we can we can jump ahead uh, a bit as well. If I, I'll tell another story, if you like.
0: Yeah, please. Love the stories, man.
1: Love the stories. Okay, so let's let's jump ahead to to my twenty eighth birthday, and there is this uh, this picture taken, and you know the the typical birthday picture of a happy guy blowing out candles. Yeah, this looks absolutely nothing like that. Uh, instead it's a picture of of me uh, and I'm pale white in my face and I'm screaming and I look like some angry person in a Disney movie or something and in my hand I'm holding a rope tied to a big bell and I've just rang this bell and that means that we opened the stock exchange on my 28th birthday took the company Katina Media to the stock exchange and When I look at this picture, I see that that was kind of the end of a very intense business journey. And I was very happy and still very relieved and very confused in the same moment here, because this was the moment I had been building up to. And Katina Media was this online online marketing company that was the first success that we did. So it's a company doing marketing mainly for gambling and financial companies. And it started in 2012. This was 2016, so only four years later. And the ride there was this roller coaster of a of a business journey where I I thought I, I thought once again that this currency of friendship that was on the schoolyard and that was money. So I focused so much on business and yeah that's how it got there.
0: Yeah, I see. So how did you get started with Katina Media?
1: Well, it started from this business failure of a web agency. And it's combined with me being, uh, so I started playing poker early on. When I was 16, I started playing poker. And at 17, I started playing professionally and I kept doing that. So that's why I never really got a job. I was playing poker instead and when we had this business that we're building websites for companies, and that didn't work out, we took that to the uh, the, the gambling industry side because I had I knew a lot of people within poker and bingo was just starting up. So the first websites that we built were about online bingo and like how you could find bingo sites to play, what kind of bonuses, offers, and stuff like that. And this was in two thousand and. Nine, I think so I was 21 and this was just a hobby just a side project something we were playing around with and the first year we only made I think we made a total of a thousand euros in one year second year we made maybe 10,000 euros and something similar like 30,000 euros third year and then in 2012 we took this and said like okay let's give this all our attention and we took on investors and that's when Katina media was founded so it came from those hobby experiments within bingo marketing actually
0: yeah interesting so you were doing you were saying that you were doing you were doing so you were doing marketing services you had an agency in 2009
1: yeah Web agency and what what we got good at was SEO, basically how to rank in Google. So everything that we did was affiliate-based marketing, so commission-based marketing through search engines.
0: I see, and how did you survive, like in 2009, when you only made 1,000 euro?
1: Well, I was still playing poker, so I had money that I made from uh, from poker and. We decided to, I, I put poker aside in 2010, and then we made maybe a thousand euros per month. So we just kept our bills very small. Me and Eamil, my co-founder, we lived together in a small apartment and we even turned off the water heater between the showers, so we should save on the electricity bill. So we kept <laughs> kept expenses as small as we possibly could. And yeah, that's how we got around.
0: Got you. And And what was the decision... Uh, for you guys to go all in and and raise money uh, for your agency, because that's a like agencies are a fairly high high margin uh, high high net margin um, businesses.
1: Yeah, so at this time we didn't do any agency related business at all. We were only doing affiliate, so um. we had put away the clients because we couldn't make that work yes so we were only building websites for ourselves yes. and only doing commission-based marketing gotcha uh, so and we did this we started with bingo but at this time we did it for mortgages hotels fashion we even had some website about viagra so we, we did marketing commission-based marketing for basically everything we could come up with
0: got gotcha. you so that so so you're and sorry if I'm asking a silly question. So when it hit 2012, um, you were still doing the commission-based marketing stuff plus services as well?
1: Yeah, we didn't really have anything other than, than marketing stuff. Commission-based marketing was pretty much everything we did. Uh, and we, we felt that, okay, now we're making decent money. Now this works, but we still felt it was a hobby and we wanted to grow into something, but we had no idea how to hire employees. We were, I was 24. Me and Emil, my co-founder, were actually born on the same day in the same hospital by parents who knew each other. Wow. So we've been been friends for a while. Uh, And we we were born, we were both completely lost in how to hire people, how to do things. So we took on, investors more because we wanted mentors than that we needed their money actually.
0: Yeah, I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then what happened next? Uh, how much did you raise? Was it difficult to find investors? Were the investors in, in the Nordic area um, where you're based or?
1: Yeah. So we actually didn't really look for, for funding at all. These investors found us and, my my girlfriend, uh, she was actually working as a nanny and for a guy named Andre. And he had just sold his business. He had a big gambling company and he sold it for 60 million euros or something like that. Um, so he was just starting this small investment company together with his other co-founders. And he wanted to invest in our company. So we, they actually found us more than anything else. And it was just by coincidence because my girlfriend was working as a nanny in his family. So we didn't really look. There were more those people wanted to do business with us, simply because my girlfriend had told him about what I was doing, and he was curious.
0: Ah, I see. So how much did you raise? Are you able to share?
1: Uh, Yeah, we actually didn't raise any money. We sold half of the company, and we valued it at uh, uh, 700,000 euros at the moment. So we... We sold 50% of it for about 350,000 euros. Um, so we took that money outside of the company. We didn't. We were actually very cash flow positive at the time. Well, very. We made maybe 30, 40,000 euros a month, something like that in profits. Uh, so we sold very cheaply on the on the IPO. Then four years later, the valuation of the company was about uh, well 1.6 billion Swedish kronor. That's Roughly two hundred million dollars. Yeah. Wow. So it <laughs> it was a good journey.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's that's um. Yeah. You guys uh, increased enterprise value quite fast. So how did you do that?
1: Well, firstly, we were we were very good at SEO, so how to rank in Google, and we had built large systems for it that worked really well back then. And what we did differently from all our competitors, were that we started. A, we didn't take any money out of the business, which most of our competitors did. So we started hiring a lot of people, but we were also very good at acquiring competitors. And we did that on an on an earnout basis. So we got really good at buying companies today. We became almost like a private equity company doing this, that we took all the money that we made and we started buying competitors with it. And these kinds of websites back then in 2012, 13, 14, you could buy websites for maybe two times yearly profit or something. So it was very cheap because it was high risk, uh, but we did that and we managed to even make them more profitable because we had good, good tools to rank them in Google. So we, I think in, in three years time, we acquired 20 different companies or something like that, which was a very big part of the growth. But pretty much everything was self-funded.
0: Yeah, wow, that's crazy. So, like, that's that's crazy in what we're talking. A that's that's a basically a four-year period. You acquired twenty different companies, and an earnout, yeah. usually in an earnout capacity. So the the uh, you know the founder or founders had to stay there for a period of time. Yeah. Wow. Um, talk to me about that. Like, ha- how, does, how does that work? Um, yeah, why, why acquisitions?
1: So the reason for acquisitions was that there was very cheap at the moment. So we were, we were basically buying websites that were working in the casino space. So we were focused on online casino and that was ranking in Google. And the market price was one to two times profits. And we believe that that was way too cheap, that we could actually probably have paid five times or six, seven times, which is the market price now. So we started, the first ones we acquired, we actually more or less got for free, ironically, because it was um, it was a Norwegian enterprise and the Norwegian government just changed uh, laws and regulations about how to deal with gambling and marketing for gambling. And that Norwegian company just wanted to get rid of their assets. So we took them on for free. And told them we will keep running this. We'll take the legal risk, because we were not based in Norway, and we knew that we weren't breaking any European Union laws. And they got an earnout based on we were just running it. And then that project turned out really, really well. So we kind of felt, OK, we can do more of this. Uh, so the first one happened more or less by accident. And then we just kept on going.
0: Mm, I see. And and like these were sites that I guess were ranking for key terms that you were trying to rank for for clients?
1: For for ourselves. So we oh, owned the assets and okay. then we had advertising. So you could think of our sites like hotels.com, for example. Yes. That's an affiliate. It's a similar business model. So... Yeah hotels.com would buy other websites about hotels and yes. they want to rank them but they are not actually owning the hotels
0: got you got you got you yeah because when you say marketing services or commission-based marketing i thought you were saying that you were making a commission off other people's websites but it was more driving traffic from affiliate marketing right yeah only yeah. affiliate marketing i good that yeah. to clarify
1: that thank yeah.
0: you okay all right awesome that makes sense so so basically you were buying uh, you know web, websites that were ranking for key terms that you guys were going after and kind of building up a portfolio of websites because you know you know you for, from an SEO standpoint you can get that website to talk to the other website and then that gives it a good ranking and all that kind of thing right
1: Yeah exactly so that's what we did so we kind of built a big portfolio of assets that could strengthen each other
0: yeah, I see. And when you uh acquired these assets, they didn't really have many people or team, right? So it was easy to acquire that many. It wasn't like these big companies with internal processes and systems. You just kinda take the site, put it under your hosting, change the you know, the change the domain to or, or keep the domain, et cetera, et cetera, right? You're basically taking the yeah, asset, that's... not not the resources.
1: Yeah. And... All, out of these 20 acquisitions we did, I think that 18 of them we only took up over the assets.
0: Yeah. And then two of them were exceptions. Yeah, got you. I see. So um, by the time you guys were gearing for IPO, why why was that? Um, why did you choose that path versus sell to private equity or sell to a competitor, et cetera, et cetera?
1: So we actually started looking for a buyer early on, well, or kind of early on, and it was a pretty much an unsellable business at that time, because there were no big companies doing what we were doing. So even if we were, if we were a company at the time, maybe we had annual revenues of about uh, 10 million euros or so, uh, and we were pretty much the biggest ones in the industry. So there weren't any competitors that could acquire us, really. There was one, maybe two, and we didn't come to an agreement with them. And no other uh, private equity companies kind of bought anything in this space. It was affiliate, casino. People didn't understand it. So no one did really acquire it. We spoke to a lot of people about a potential acquisition, but no one really wanted to. And then one of our only bigger competitors actually went for an IPO and it went really, really well. And we're like, hey, we could do that. Uh, So we geared towards that and we did the IPO in 11 months, I think, or something like that, which was a very, very hectic period. And I wouldn't recommend anyone to do that because it was just painful, but it became like, Our best way out and financially that turned out to be the by far best decision because we had an offer on the table that we considered a year before the IPO which was 28 million euros and then just a year later we we took it to the stock exchange on yeah 160 or whatever it becomes in in euros
0: yeah i see so um i'm curious uh when you said it was painful to to get ready for IPO in eleven months, why why was that exactly? Okay, so
1: the the company was very young to start with, and we had come to where we were uh, by working too much. It wasn't uh, it was the less the, the less glamorous part of startup life, which isn't really spoken about, which is the sleepless night or the stress or me having a whiskey bottle next to the bed because I couldn't get all my thoughts out of my head so I had to drink before I fell asleep. That was my my journey for, for a few years and that was business as usual and then putting an IPO process on top of that which is so much paperwork, so many meetings with investors, so many things that me as a Was I 27 year old? Have absolutely no idea how to deal with. And I had a great team. Uh, We had a great team in the company. So many talented people, but no one who had done an IPO before. No one who knew what that was, and no one who had that experience. Which means that everyone pushed themselves far harder than was reasonable. And I think it wasn't really for any use. We could have done it in 18 months instead of 11. And it wouldn't really have changed anything. So there wasn't, I think it's rarely there is a position where that urgency is so important, but I made up the idea that it was so important. Everyone else seemed to made up the idea that it's so important that we do this as quickly as possible. But I don't think that it's it's very uncommon that it's ever important to be that quick in anything.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so when you listed the company, you guys uh, were at ten mil annual revenue, and you got a twenty x multiple.
1: I think we valued at like twelve x the next year, or something like that. Early on, how they got to it, we had we were growing very very quickly uh, since we were came uh, since we had that pace, and we had a fifty five or even sixty percent profit margin. So we were very very cash flow positive. Uh, which led to a high valuation. And the valuation has gotten down quite significantly since then. We had a skyrocketing rally for two years, and now we've been, well, that company I'm not involved with anymore, has been falling behind a lot in the last year.
0: Yeah, I see. So it was a 55% net margin. Yeah. Wow, not gross. It's, that's pretty that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um. So talk to me. Around kind of lessons around leadership. I know you had some uh, cool stuff you wanted to share. Yeah,
1: I think that's so. I did this video on on Instagram the other day with the thirteen leadership tips, and I've never gotten that many replies or answers to to anything. So I'll I'll go through a few here, and we'll see if we keep going. So I can just start with the five first ones. And first one in this is to be a role model that the team is not going to do what you say they should do, the team is going to do what you're doing. And you need to always keep this in mind when you're doing anything. Uh, Second one is to do the dirty work first, that whenever you're starting a business or whatever you're doing, you are not too good to do anything. So get your hands dirty and Well, be a role model in this, well, show that you're willing to do those things because then you have a good understanding of what everyone else is doing. You know what to recruit for and you can kind of do all of these things. Um, The third tip is to show appreciation and do this all the time. So whenever you can, whenever someone's done something good, tell them. And even better than just tell them, tell them in front of other people, say, very specifically like, Nathan, I really liked when you reached out to me for this podcast. I think that you did a great job in the interview. Thank you so much for this. And make sure that people hear you when they say that. That's the best way of showing appreciation in my experience. Uh, The fourth tip is to give away the credit. So whenever you can, even if something was your idea, give the credit to Nathan, give the credit to someone else. Like say, wow, thanks to him, this happened. Because credit is free to give away and it's often much, much higher valued than than money. So whenever you can give the credit away, whenever it's someone else's that actually could take the credit, give it away. And fifth one here is to care about What's right and not who's right. And I heard Simon Sinek said this the first time. And to me, it just makes so much sense that just leave the ego by the door. Don't think too much about what uh, who's right, and definitely not if you're the one struggling for it. Always aim for finding out what's right, because that means so much more. So that's yeah, five quick ones. And I can do a longer video for it, something and post on Instagram or Whatever.
0: Man, keep going. Would love to hear the rest, bro.
1: Oh, keep going then. (laughs) Bum 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 bum. Tips number six. Yeah, okay, I'll go through it. So tip number six here, ask, don't demand. That whenever we're telling, hey Nathan, go do this, then that immediately will raise a barrier in you feeling that I don't want to do that. But if I instead say, hey, can you please do this for me? Or what do you think about this thing? Or so if you turn everything into a question instead of a demand, it will make it so much more fun to help you with whatever it is that you're needed. So that's number six. Number seven is listen and make everyone feel heard. That whenever someone has an idea, even if it's a really, really shitty idea, listen to it, because that means that you're you're showing with your body and everything that you're doing that I'm valuing your input, I'm valuing your thoughts, and people feel that even if you're not doing their idea, you've at least considered it and given them appreciation for just your time. Which ties into tip number eight here, which is leaders talk last. So this also comes from Simon Sinek, he's a brilliant man, and he said that a very common way of starting a meeting is like, here is the problem, this is what I think, what do you think? And if you're coming in as a leader saying that, you're already giving everyone what you think is the right solution, so everyone will be very stuck on your solution. But if you instead say, hey, this is the problem, what do you think we should do about it? Then you get the benefit of listening to everyone else who will probably say a lot of smart things. You have not already narrowed down what they say, and hopefully someone else will come up with the same idea that you had, and you can then show them appreciation and give them all the credit for their brilliant idea, even if you had the same one. And they will probably work a lot harder for it because they feel it was their idea. They're committed to it. And I mean, wouldn't you care more about an idea that you had than something that your boss told you? Probably. So so by talking last, then, you can just summarize what everyone else said, or you can even ask someone else to summarize, and you kind of take the best parts of it, and you get to just direct the dialogue with questions. So only ask to understand, only ask for people to kind of keep elaborating on what they mean. Never say, this is my path, or at least doesn't, don't say it until you're the last one speaking. Um, the nine one in this was, understand what others want and find a ways to give it to them which means that the key to someone's actions is to understand what do they want so for me why do nathan want to do this podcast that's my kind of angle in this if i would want to go on the podcast or anything it's like what's important for him? inspiring conversations is important uh, Tips for leadership is important. Can I provide that? Then I can get a chance to be on this podcast. So whenever you're talking to someone in the team, okay, Carl here, he is looking to be be challenged. And now I know that because I asked him, what is it that he's looking for? How can I bring tasks to him that he feels that he gets challenged from? So we're actually meeting his needs instead of just giving him something. And I could communicate from a perspective that I know what it is that he wants. And Number 10 here is to be honest, and this is probably the hardest one and the most painful one and something that I really try to live by in everything I do in my life and in my leadership, but it's to take the painful conversations when they show up, sit down and honestly speak, this is how I'm feeling right now about your performance or about my own performance or how the business is going, or I think that... In the long term, you always win if you're going with honesty, even if it's painful. And I heard this quote sometime, don't know who said, but the quality of your business or life for that matter, as is in direct correlation to your willingness to have uncomfortable conversations. And I think that just makes a lot of sense. So that was 10. You want me to keep going? or I want to save something for something
0: else. Nah, man, let's round it out. I'm loving this. I'll keep going then. So tip number 11 here is
1: to show emotions. And for me, this means that if, if someone has a stone face, they have the same face when they're happy and they're sad and whatever, it's very hard to trust that person because it's very hard to know what they're actually feeling inside. But if someone is emotional and when they're happy, you can really see they're happy. When they're angry, you can really see they're angry. Then it's a lot easier to trust them because you know they're not having a hidden agenda. They're not trying to hide something. So as a leader, if you're showing joy, but also show sadness when you're feeling sad, you build a much stronger bond to the team and the the connection to them. And number 12 here is to don't be too proud, but instead say thank you. I'm sorry, and help me very often, as often as you can. Because when you say thank you, you're showing appreciation, you're doing these things. When you say I'm sorry, you're actually owning up to whatever mistake that you did, and you're building trust that way. And when you say help me, well, A, you're getting help, hopefully, but B, you're also letting people know that you need help and you're giving them the opportunity of being valued and you show that I'm vulnerable now I need you to help me with this so you're building a very strong bond with this words to your team or to people in your life in general and the 13th tip in this is to never stop learning and I think that's the key in all the other ones if you just never stop learning you will find these things out on your own so don't for one second think that I'm fully learned and I know everything this is this is just key. Talk to people, listen to podcasts, find videos on YouTube, read books, and that
0: will just take you a long way. Incredible, man. There you have it. 13 key leadership tips to become a killer CEO.
1: Yeah, I think, or for that matter, just have a good life. I think that this applies as a CEO, but it, it applies in, in every relationship. And if you're a football coach or just a boyfriend, I think that all of these things make sense.
0: Yeah, no, that was really insightful, man. Thank you for sharing.
1: I'm happy you like it.
0: Yeah. So, um talk to me about what's going on now. So you sold well, you 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 know you you basically had a liquidity event with Katina Media and um you know, you, you were you the CEO of, of the listed of a listed company for long, or what happened next?
1: Uh, I actually, we we actually hired an external CEO when we started going for the stock exchange because I felt I was too burnt out. I couldn't really deal with this. So a big part, a big part for me with doing the IPO was that I wanted out. I couldn't keep up the pace. I wasn't feeling well. I was com- completely white in my face, and I had a bottle of whiskey by the bed. I think that summarizes how I was feeling. So we we took the company to the stock exchange. Uh, I sold shares that day for about 13 million euros, give or take. So I made a lot of money my own. And I just, I stayed on for maybe six, nine months, maybe 12 months, something like that, depending on how you look at it. And then I just resigned and recovered. So I didn't really do anything for uh, for two years. And I went into... Quite dark place in my life, I would say, oh really that yes, it's I have been chasing this money all of my life since that schoolboy realized that okay, hockey pictures can bring me friends, and I kind of felt that if I only get hockey pictures that time, I would be happy, and then that turned into if I only get money, I would be happy, and then I reached all of these financial goals and dreams of my life and for a while I was super happy. I mean it was a very it was a very emotional exploded explosion in my body that day, obviously. And it didn't last that long. I mean how long can any emotion last? And for me maybe it lasted a week and then I was like, "Okay, what's missing now?" I have all of this money. I can do whatever I want to do. I can go wherever I want to. And I have this financial freedom for the rest of my life. And there was still something missing that I couldn't really figure it out. So I I was quite depressed. I ended up breaking up with my, my girlfriend. We had been going through a rough patch for many years actually, but I just focused on business instead of on her. And that's probably the reason why it didn't work out very well. Uh, and we had been together for seven years. So now I was like, okay, who am I without her? Once again, I have all of this money. That's what I've been chasing all my life. And still something is missing and I couldn't really figure it out. Uh, So I started to involve myself in a lot of different charities. A friend of mine, he said, hey, do you want to help out this charity project in in Africa? And they were building a school. So I helped them. I donated, I think it was $15,000 and went down and visited that. And I remember coming into this, this schoolyard and on the right side, there were three gray buildings with these steel bars for the windows and they just looked like prisons. And on the left side, there was this splash of colors. It was a house that was green, yellow and red. And it was this new school building that they had had built. And it was initiated by a Swedish man named Torsten. and. It just felt right to see this. But what really changed for me was later that afternoon. So in the evening, I sat and I spoke to Toshton and he told me about this project. And he said that during the day, the other teachers can borrow this classroom whenever they want, because the Swedish school had their own education after school, uh, but it was not on one condition. And it was that in here, you never beat the kids and this was like seven-year-old children and for me to just hear that i was like i didn't know what to say and for me it was so obvious that you never hit kids but in these other prison-like school buildings that wasn't obvious in there the kids got hit but in this splash of colors The kids were safe and the kids could have fun and they wanted to be there. And when he told me that and this sunk in, I felt like ah, something just ticked in me. It's like, this is what I'm going to do. I want to help the world to be a splash of colors and see what can I do to get there. So when I came home from this trip, I started involving myself in a lot of different charities and I started dreaming again of what can I I build. And my solution after many tries with different charity organizations was that I want to build a new company, but this time I want to focus on making as much money as possible, but then to give it all away. So that's what I'm doing right now. started a company called great.com which will be very very similar to to katina it's actually going to be casino related marketing but all profits is going to charity and we're focusing completely on the the environment so i've been doing this for about a year now and it's starting to take off and it's yeah it's just a very exciting project so that's where all my attention goes
0: yeah wow that's a crazy story man thank you so much for sharing um I sometimes do hear from people uh, amongst my travels, not always guests, but people that have uh, had you know, sizable exits or life-changing exits that um, they lose a sense of their identity. Um, I'd love like just to openly talk about that. Um,
1: I can totally relate to that. So I think that goes with reaching pretty much any big goal. Regardless what it is, because for, so for 28 years, I was chasing money and I was building it up. How would it feel to have this amount of money? And obviously nothing that you can experience can equate to 28 years of expectations. I mean, no, no emotion, no at least no great emotion lasts for very long. So I think that for me, making all that money, and it was amazing, it's, it's given me so much. I'm super happy for having all of that money today. And at the same time, it felt like, is this it? Is it something, that, what am I missing? What, what didn't I figure out? I've been chasing this my entire life because it should give me infinite happiness, and it, and it didn't. So I can imagine that, Similar happens to other founders and other people who just get a lot of money that our expectations on how much joy it will bring us doesn't match reality. I think that makes sense. Yeah. And then we get disappointed instead.
0: Did you buy a whole ton of like, you know, uh, expensive possessions?
1: No, actually... So, I had when I was playing poker, so I was when I was 18, I, I made a lot of money when my friends didn't, and I wasted all of that money on crap. And uh, then I stopped winning playing poker, and I realized that fuck, I spent all my money on champagne, car, the fancy TV, and expensive clothes, and now I need to move back to my parents' house. Uh, so, since then, I've been a bit cautious, but something that changed more in me was uh, i had a dinner with a friend uh, and he had just come home from from india and he had been visiting an organization and yeah this is this is a deep and pretty dark story but i'll tell it anyway if that's okay yeah so he had just come home from india and he had been visiting an organization working with child sex slavery and trafficking and he told me these horrific stories about six-year-olds being locked up. And I'll just leave it at that because it just gets too dark otherwise. And we sat there talking over dinner. He was at my place. And he told me these stories. And I felt inside that I got angry at him for sharing this because I really didn't want to know. I I, I couldn't deal with, with those pictures in my head. And when he left, I felt that I had two choices right now. One is to to dedicate my entire life into helping these children because they're living through hell on earth, if not worse. Or I'll look the other way, I'll pretend I never heard any of these things and I'll just go on with my life. But that were the only two options that I had. I couldn't really think about it and not deal with it. And I'm ashamed to say that I went with a second road. I closed my eyes and I didn't think more about this. I, I couldn't deal with it. And I don't know, maybe six months later or something like that, I stumbled upon a news article from this uh, shared organization or about this organization. And in this article, they said that to rescue one child, uh, because that's what they were doing, they were rescuing kidnapped children, Uh, that cost $1,000. And that number just stuck with me. Like $1,000 is one child in slavery. And ever since then, I've been kind of stuck on that number and felt that, I can't really spend a lot of money on something expensive because even if I have more or less infinite funds, every time I do, it's like, yeah, but those could help the child. And that's just more important. And so I haven't really bought anything crazy expensive. I haven't really bought anything stupid. Well, I bought the domain name great.com for $900,000 um but that's an investment other than that I still drive the same car that I used to I still live in the same apartment that I used to I still have the same watch that I used to and it all goes down to that to me money is now valued towards lives rather than my bank account yeah that became a long answer to that question but that's And I I don't tell this because I want to guilt people who buy things and spend money on extravagant stuff. It's just where I'm emotionally at and how I'm relating to money.
0: Yeah, no, I totally understand. And, yeah, thank you for being so open and honest and transparent with where you're at, Eric. Yeah, it's, it's really refreshing.
1: I'm happy to hear. Yeah,
0: it's tricky. Yeah. So, look. I'm really enjoying our conversation, man, but we have to work towards wrapping up. So I'm curious what's next with uh, great.com and uh, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work?
1: So for me right now, a lot of focus is is actually on podcasting and social media relating to great.com because what we did with, with Katina was that we were really good at search engines and how to scale that in a way uh, using mass websites and stuff like that and now i'm trying to come up with a similar way of doing it but using pr and media and getting attention into charity and these kinds of things so i'm doing a podcast called becoming great that we have about um great and the project but it's also about personal development and leaderships and how to send better emails so that's one great way of, of keeping track of it and i'm i'm actually applying your strategy to instagram at the moment
0: oh uh, wow the there you go. Uh,
1: the unicorn strategy i picked it up from you a couple of months ago <laughs> and so the unicorn strategy for you listening is basically go through various instagram accounts with similar content as yourself and find the unicorns which is the posts that have gotten by far the most likes because uh, they have already proven to be social spreading. So what I'm doing now is that I'm doing this on similar accounts and I find posts that really work on Founder, for example. I took a lot of inspiration from you guys. Uh, and then I take my own spin on it. So maybe I write my own long caption about what does this quote mean for me or how does this tie tie into things. Uh, and I'm doing all of this because I want to inspire through Instagram but also because I want to use Instagram as a platform for recruitment for Greats. I want to use it as a way of getting links and publicity for the things we're doing, which will help out with with SEO. I'd love to get more people talking about charity and what can be done with with charity, which is not being talked about a lot. So it ties in a lot to this, me adapting to to social media and taking things from there.
0: Yeah, wow, really cool. Well, look, um... Thanks uh, so much for the shout out, Eric. Not often our guests uh, paid that much attention to our work. So thank you.
1: You're doing great, job. Thank you. I'm very happy for for that. That approach actually made me enjoy Instagram a lot more than I did before because I'm constantly looking for good content and it makes it a lot easier to produce content because, hey, this is actually really, really good. I can write something about this that really resonates with me. So I think it's it's great advice. Thank you.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Um, awesome. Well, look, uh, we'll uh, work towards uh, wrapping up. Last question. Where's the pl- best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? Just great.com?
1: Yeah, go to great.com.
0: Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Eric. It was an absolute pleasure, man. And um, yeah, thanks for being so open and honest. I really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure being here, Nathan. I'm happy to come back someday.